Welcome back. You are listening to Nate the Hate on YouTube, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Be sure to like the video and subscribe to the channel if you have not already. And with that, I'd like to welcome in my special co-host for this episode, which is Digital Foundry's own John Linneman. How are we doing today, John? Doing pretty good, Nate. Good to be here. Uh, I am not ready to hate, but instead ready to discuss some Nintendo Switch-related news. Whether it's Switch, Switch 2, Super Switch, uh, I don't know. We'll find out. We will find out over the course of the next hour or so what we will exactly be discussing. But yes, we will be talking about Nintendo's 2024 plans as the year looks to be a very busy and exciting year for Nintendo. And right now in 2024, Nintendo has already given us a nice lineup of games coming to the current gen Switch, which recently had another code launch for it earlier in January. We have Mario vs. Donkey Kong coming out in just over a week, and then March will have the release of Super Princess Peach, which looks like a nice departure from the original DS game, and very creative in what the game looks to be delivering. And then we have still Luigi's Mansion 2, Paper Mario The Thousand Year Door, and Metroid Prime 4, expected to release sometime this calendar year, but Metroid Prime 4 continues to be elusive and refuses to be shown in any direct or any format, and Nintendo only acknowledges its, its basic existence at this point in its investor reports with a TBD designation. But we also have to talk about that Switch 2, as that was a topic of conversation quite heavily in the summer of 2023. But before we get into all of those fun topics, I want to do a quick recap of Nintendo's 2023 and just give an overall feeling of how we think Nintendo did last year as Nintendo released a variety of software starting the year off with Fire Emblem and Gage. We then had the major release with Zelda Tears of the Kingdom coming out in May and then the year oh, yeah. continued to see quality releases with Pikmin 4 in the summer and then Super Mario Wonder cap off the holiday season in October. So when you really look at Nintendo's 2023, I think one could definitely have a strong debate and argument to suggest it was Nintendo's best year in terms of software output, likely dating back to the Switch's launch of 2017. Would you agree with that? Actually, yeah, that's a really good point. It's some of the best software they've released for the Switch in general. I think we also got like Advance Wars 1 and 2, Reboot Camp in there. Uh, lots of third-party games were released. Uh, it was a Kirby's Return to Dreamland as well. Jeez, there's just a ton of stuff that came out on the Switch mm -hmm. last year, which is really interesting because it really feels like it never actually lost momentum, which uh, I guess traditionally is what you see with mega successful consoles, right? Like the end days of the PS2, the end days of the Super NES, uh, there was still great stuff coming out even into the generation that would follow it. And that's kind of the sense I get here. But of course, given the long development cycle for games, it kind of feels like we've seen a lot of the last hurrah of like the big Nintendo stuff, save for Metroid Prime 4, and most of the stuff that they've got cooking uh, right now is probably either for the next machine or uh, a smaller project, which we'll see this year. But I mean, all of that, just they, they have an amazing amount of momentum behind the Switch. I mean, it just became, what, the, the best-selling console ever in Japan uh, as of recording? Yes. So mm -hmm. it... it bypassed the nintendo ds uh i think it is a much better system than than the ds and the ds is good but switch is uh 
it's it's really good. I think it's one of the best things Nintendo has ever made. Uh, I know people have a lot of complaints with the hardware, but even now, when you look at the games made for the Switch, I don't think they feel dated or uh, technically poor, right? Everything feels pretty generally well-optimized. Um, so it's really just in the third-party stuff that we're starting to see developers struggle a little bit. Yeah, that's a great point that in terms of Nintendo's own output, the Switch is still more than capable of what they're trying to deliver and bring to the market. It's just the third-party companies as they begin their shift to more powerful hardware, be it the Xbox series or the PlayStation 5, that their titles are now opting to skip the platform. But Nintendo has always largely relied on their own software output to really propel their system to success. And that's the reason you own a Nintendo platform, is to play those Nintendo games. Absolutely. And I mean, that kind of falls into the whole conversations this week about the Xbox stuff, right? And whether exclusives still matter. Mm -hmm. And I think it depends on the business. But for Nintendo, absolutely it matters. I mean, this is what they do, is they make games and they make hardware for them. Uh, that is their primary business. They don't really have anything else to fall back on. So for them, yeah, it, it, <laughs> they need to be making these killer games, uh, and they've mm-hmm. been doing that. I've there's been some slower periods throughout the Switch's life, but I think by and large they've kept us relatively fed. I guess you could say, and they've found what feels like a good a good level of fidelity where their games look and feel pretty good. They're not super cutting edge but they also don't need to be. And by targeting just a little bit lower than where the rest of the industry is at, I think it actually reduces development costs and often shortens development time a bit, allowing them to get a more reasonable schedule out there. Like, I really think you look at the other, like Sony and Microsoft with their first party portfolios, they've really struggled to get a lot of stuff out there. And I think it's just, it's it requires tremendous resources time and people just to make modern games at that level and nintendo has settled on something a little bit less uh but polishing up to perfection in most cases and it's a pretty good strategy i think people like it yes i mean that's the one thing we can point to is that just on those recent leaks from insomniac at the cost of spider-man 2 in the area of 300 million dollars we know Nintendo's not spending anywhere near that amount of money on even their AAA high-profile games. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you think about stuff like uh, the Halo Infinite. I heard some numbers going around that were eye-watering. And you're like, just how can you support this, right? Nintendo is doing it at a different scale. And I think it works. Uh, and I'll be curious to see. And that's actually what makes the transition to this new switch interesting. It's potentially difficult, but maybe not like fundamentally Nate, if, if they were to continue to target the types of visuals we've seen on the switch, but at higher frame rates and resolutions and generally cleaned up, polished up, how, how would you feel about that? Generally, I think I would feel okay because Nintendo's art style has always been above the norm in terms of industry standard. It's really the art that lures you in. And the games just have that pleasant visual aesthetic to them. So even if we just got games, let's say, along the lines of Tears of the Kingdom, but at a higher resolution, better frame rate, and just general visual quality, 
I'd be more than satisfied with that. And I've seen a lot of people say, oh, what if the next Zelda game could look like Horizon? And I, s- I just look that. at it saying, Nintendo's never gone that route in terms of visual direction. And there's no reason to expect that they would go that, even if you give them that extra horsepower. They've always gone for a very simplistic aesthetic, and that's what they do well. And that's also why their games kind of have that timeless visual appeal to them where they don't really age out of their generation as time advances. Like, yes, you could go back to the N64, look at Mario 64 and say, this hasn't aged well. I I disagree. I I actually don't think you can say that about Mario 64. A lot of N64 games, yes, Mm -hmm. but not Mario 64. That still looks great. Yeah, I'd argue even Ocarina of Time still has a very pleasing aesthetic to it. They, they were doing it back then as well. And that mm-hmm. the thing about those games is that they were pushing cutting-edge tech at the time. At least yes. with Mario, when that hit, that was PC-accelerated cards were just barely a thing. Uh, doing mm-hmm. a game like that at that scale, with that level of quality, that was new and special. And it really did look amazing. Uh, yet it is timeless. And that's where, there's, that's where they're strong when it comes to visual design. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the thing, because... When we get into the topic of the Switch 2, we can get into this a little bit more, but we definitely saw Nintendo struggle going from the Wii to the Wii U with HD development, where there were long gaps in terms of their software output. So one could naturally wonder if we're going to see a repeat of that as they are now transitioning from the Switch, which you could argue is, you know, very close to the 360 PS3 Mm. generation in terms of I don't want to see overall fidelity because it does I, outclass that hardware. I would I would have to disagree, actually. And I think this is a really important distinction. I think they've already crossed that bridge and they're past it. The, the, they face the same issue that everyone else did when moving to the, the 360 PS3 generation, especially Japanese developers, because they were so focused on PS2 class hardware without mm-hmm. all the pixel shading capabilities. The Switch may not be all that much more powerful in terms of raw horsepower, but it supports all the modern techniques, like all right. the, the way modern lighting works, physically based rendering pipelines. I mean, everybody, you, you can use all the same uh, features, techniques, and everything that you see in like high end Unreal games. All of this stuff works on Switch, uh, sometimes not very fast, but it's all feasible, right? And that's the difference. That stuff would not work on PS360 era hardware, not mm-hmm. like it does here, not in the same way. I mean, some things, yes, but the Switch was still much more modern and in line with what we expect today. Uh, you just had to scale right. it down. So I think if they've been working on the Switch class hardware, moving to whatever the new hardware is will not pose that kind of challenge. It's just basically a continuation of what they've been doing, but with more horsepower behind it. Yeah, that's a good point because Nintendo themselves have internally used Unreal Engine 4. So it's natural to assume that they have, you know, maybe tinkered with Unreal Engine 5, at least in the background to become... It doesn't even need to be Unreal. Tool. It's just like For, just the, even. the types of rendering techniques possible mm-hmm. in that uh, they've already experimented with. And I think they can just continue from there. So I don't see any major roadblocks in development. Do you think them... Yeah, we can get into this a little more when we actually go to the Switch 2 topic. But do you think them adopting ray tracing could potentially pose any 
growing pains just in terms uh, of having it utilized in a meaningful way that isn't too much of a drawback in terms of performance? I would say not, not really, because implementing it, especially on an engine like Unreal, but it also mm-hmm. I, I suspect they could implement it fairly easily. And in fact, the main benefit in a lot of cases comes for the developer side. Uh, depends on what technique you're using, of course, but it kind of plugs right. Like, you know how in a lot of, like, let's say you're talking ray trace reflections, it kind of plugs right into the same systems that screen space reflections rely on, right? Uh, it's just drawing that information from a different source. So it, again, it kind of works with all the typical uh, modern techniques. The big change is if you do ray trace lighting, like RTGI, uh, that's handled a bit differently, but that actually tends to be easier to work with on the development side, because you can light your scene in real time within an editor and actually see it change. And you don't have to sit there and bake things out. So it actually speeds things up on that side. So it could actually pay off for them. Not that I'm expecting to see a bunch of RTGI enabled games on the switch (laughs) too. Let's, let's not get ahead of ourselves here, but uh, yeah. We'll be back after a quick break. Ever thought modern video games should be more interesting? At the Gaming Blender, we take randomized genres, mechanics, and make a new game every episode. I've added permadeath. We have a survival game of a hardcore simulation, which could be House Flipper, and with the permadeath of XCOM. Then that all has to be an action adventure. Yes. Ooh, dear. Yes. And sometimes it doesn't quite work. And you you have a construction off over the course of the of the narrative. A construction off. The way, the way we can do this is that we ditch your idea entirely. Entirely. Check out The Gaming Blender on all your favourite podcast platforms now. now. I do want to go just back to like the Switch one. As we are in 2024, we've already talked a detailed a bit of the lineup that is to come. Do you feel that the current Switch is in that transitionary period that we have seen in the past from Nintendo hardware as Nintendo is prepping the next generation? As we've kind of talked about, we're not going to get any major new releases for the Switch 1, Metroid Prime 4 aside. These are going to be smaller projects, some remasters from previous generations. Do you think we are in that transitionary period or do you think Nintendo is still kind of operating in its own way of saying, no, the Switch is still here, we still have games coming for it, and it's just, as an outsider view, kind of in that situation of I'm looking at saying, no, you're clearly transitioning because we're getting these smaller releases. These aren't AAA projects. You're just giving us enough to be satisfied and satiated until the Switch 2 is ready to come to market. I mean, maybe, maybe not. I mean, they've had periods like this during the regular Switches, the original Switches lifestyle time as well, right? And it's basically just filling filling in. It's the release schedule. It's tricky, right? Sometimes you have smaller projects. Sometimes you have larger projects. And Nintendo's done a pretty good job at pacing that stuff out, I think. Sort of keeping a nice trickle flowing, but obviously not every project's going to be on the same scale. Uh, we're in an interesting spot, though, because so like Super Mario Wonder, I think, is... A, it's a, it's, I, I suspect that they could still very much have some sort of a 3D Mario in development for the new hardware that's been worked on during that time. But Zelda, for instance, I think an, any new Zelda would be many, many years away, right? Because they just released Tears of the Kingdom. 
where with the switch lineup with the original switch, it just happened to line up perfectly with the arrival, the, that game being completed and this new hardware. So it's all about sort of aligning the schedules. Uh, so I think we'll see a mix of, well, I'm talking about the switch two again, but for the regular switch, I think, yeah, we are, we are kind of, I think we are kind of seeing the end, the, the final games mm-hmm. kind of roll out for it. Uh, I think there'll be some cross gen stuff. If you want to call it cross gen, I think there will be software like that. Like I would not yeah. be surprised to see Metroid prime four, for instance, uh, show up on both systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, that seems like a logical thing based on what they've done in the past. Uh, but we'll see. Yeah, Metroid Prime 4 is definitely a curious one, only because we know it's been in development for the current-gen Switch now for several years. But it could also be a title that, depending on how Nintendo approaches it, could potentially be kind of that graphical showcase for what the Switch 2 could do. But you'd also have to wonder how much work would have had to go into that. And we don't know what proprietary engine that Retro is employing with Metroid Prime 4, at least, you know, officially, because there's no details around this game. Nintendo showed a JPEG, and that was all we've seen of this project. Well, I mean, as... that it's tricky, though, because when they announced that it, it was being done in, like, Singapore or something, I think, with yes. uh, Bandai Namco, right? Mm-hmm. And then they basically canceled that and... Retro took over. They re- basically rebooted the whole project. I think that's the only reason it seems so long is because, you know, yes. we, we saw partial development under the original developer, <laughs> then it was canceled, then it was restarted. They normally would not have announced it so early uh, if they had known that's this is how it would go, right? So it just mm-hmm. feels like it's been around forever, but it's really, I don't think it's been like an obscene amount of time considering those circumstances, but it does feel like it. Yeah, and that's the thing. They had announced it in 2017, and then they announced the cancellation and the reboot process. I believe it was in January of 2019. Yeah. So we're right within that general five-year time frame that we typically see from a AAA major release. It just feels as though it's been a long time. It also doesn't help that at the same time it's been nearly a decade or more since Metroid Prime 3 had released on the Wii. And between then, we've had the you know Metroid Prime trilogy come out. We also had Retro just release Metroid Prime 1 Remastered early last year. So we kind of got potentially a glimpse of the visual fidelity we could see from Metroid Prime 4 on the base Switch. When you look at Remastered, right, which right. was a fantastic, fantastic release and very visually pleasing, it just kind of comes down to... You know, where is Metro Prime 4 going to be positioned when it comes that time? But yeah, for Switch in 2024, it's definitely going to be, I'd say, a slower year in terms of major releases as Nintendo does begin that pivot into what is coming next in terms of hardware. And there'll still be releases to be announced and detailed in future events, be it Nintendo Directs, the June annual Nintendo Direct or wherever Nintendo opts to release these games, it's not as though the final game is going to be Luigi's Mansion or Paper Mario Thousand Year Door, and then Nintendo is just shutting off the Switch. I expect no. there will be that cross-gen period Absolutely. that go into you know 2025, and then we'll see general uh, you know support weighing down. I would say especially if, unlike, say, the Wii U situation, um, 
it's cross compatible to some degree and they can sort of leverage games from the prior switch and release updated versions or enhanced versions alongside it on the new hardware. Uh, that would be really great for them. I think. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, since we have pretty much focused primarily on the switch to let's just make the switch to our focus yeah. at this point. <laughs> so we do have, you know, there's the rumors, there is the talk that a Nintendo Direct is looming just over the horizon, likely airing within a week of this broadcast. And people are definitely out there saying, okay, what is Nintendo going to show us? Are we going to get a look at the Switch 2 at this Direct? No, we won't. That's not going no, to be the venue no. that Nintendo would announce or show new hardware. But there is still that question of the games that they're showing at this Direct if it were a general direct, would these games be also playable on the Switch 2 and what have you? And I'm going into the first direct of the year with the expectation that it's going to be a partner direct. I don't think Nintendo will host a general direct this February. I think I they agree. are going to do third parties instead. Yep, I agree. I think it's like a, maybe a last hurrah or one of the last hurrahs for like the typical third party style direct for the existing switch, which kind of makes sense. You know, there's still a lot of games in development for that original switch. So it makes sense to want to get that out there. Uh, let them get their time in the sun, so to speak. Uh, so I suspect that's what we're going to see. But the thing with Nintendo, obviously, and as we know, is that they can kind of just drop a thing at any point. <laughs> so like, yes, I feel like <laughs> when the actual reveal of that new hardware does eventually happen, it, it could just happen out of nowhere. Like, I could just see, like, suddenly a video shows up. It's like, hey, here's this thing. <laughs> but it would be like a tease, I, like they did last time. And I think they could even take it further right. than they did before because they've kind of, they've earned such success. Whereas coming off the Wii U is a little bit different. <laughs> no, I actually want to go on to the reveal timing for the Switch 2. As last summer, around Tokyo Game Show and Gamescom... I had reported that there were a lot of whispers about something concerning March of 2024. And the issue was yep. just couldn't figure out exactly what March was referring to at that time. Now, as time has gone on, I am of the belief that March is referring to the reveal timing of the Switch 2. We know GDC is coming up in March, and GDC is likely going to be a significant venue that Nintendo is going to meet with partners, talk with partners, and show what the Switch 2 is going to be. So right now, my expectation is Switch 2 reveal March. Do you think that has merit, or do you think Nintendo could potentially wait a little later into the year to reveal this, though? Um, I think that has merit. I, I, you know, I don't think that's necessarily, like, set in stone or anything. I mean, it's Nintendo. They can do what they want. But I feel like March would be a pretty... It does kind of align with other things that I've heard, at least, from the past and make me think that, yeah, maybe this is the right time to do it. Um, get, get that ball rolling. It, it would be good to kind of get the information out there and start getting developers sort of primed on it uh, mm -hmm. more openly as well. And yes. then build, build their way up towards a launch, which I guess at this point would probably be in the fall. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, it, I, I can't see thing. them doing a summer launch. That feel that feels a little bit weird, but I think fall it, launch. I don't know. I guess it would kind of 
depend on what we want to constitute as fall. We have seen Nintendo release hardware in September before, you know, the oh, latter I, half of September. I kind of consider that fall at that point, but... Okay, so you'd it's say, still, like, anything still, from... I'd say September, September onward is, is fair game. <laughs> well, yeah, September yeah, to November. They wouldn't release them in December, I don't think. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I did want to touch on, like, you know, the release timing that we would expect from a Switch 2 launch, and I would agree with you that any time from September to November feels as though that would be the expected window, because it really, I'd say it really depends on how they approach, let's say, a March reveal. Is it going to be something more generic in the vein of a press release statement of just, we are currently planning to release our next generation hardware a successor to the switch in the coming calendar year or in the coming fiscal year we'll we will have more details to share with you later this summer or let's even say they go really specific and say come this june or are they going to go more along the lines of what we are accustomed to with an e3 style reveal of Mm. we're going to have a trailer we're going to have that hype sizzle reel where they're just going to slap the date on at the end of that two minute trailer of you know, November 2nd, 2024. And we saw a nice variety of games from third-party partners, Nintendo's own internal studios, be it a 3D Mario, a brand new Mario Kart. It really comes down to how they approach a March announcement. Because if you go more vague, I think it would support the idea that the release might be a little later in that fall window. Whereas if you come in with a hot trailer in March, you begin to entertain maybe that late September, early October window a little more heavily. Yeah, I could kind of see them taking a similar approach to the Switch, though, where it's like, you know, you get that March sort of reveal, uh, and then closer to the traditional no longer E3 time, they have like a larger showcase kind of thing. Whether it may, maybe they'll do it like the, because for the Switch, for us, it was like, oh, yeah, uh, in different countries. So here in Germany, they had NOE had a thing down here in Frankfurt where it just like, they secretly invited everybody to come to this building to see the thing. And we all show <laughs> up there on that day. And then that's the same day they released a whole video presentation to the public. They let all the press and other people sort of play the games and get a sample of it. And they kind of went from there. Right. And that was post that initial sort of teaser reveal thing. The difference though, is that, I guess it depends on, so like with the original switch, they could do that initial trailer because they had to pitch a new idea, you know, the name switch tying into this portable slash console design thing that they went for. That's now known. So uh, are they going to do something new or not? We don't know. Does it need that kind of reveal? Does it just need a, this is coming soon. Here's a teaser. Like it could be any of those things, but I don't know. I, I suspect we'll see an initial showing a period of waiting and then like a big full blowout. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of my thought is that March will have that initial trailer reveal. Then come June, Nintendo will go heavy where we will see, you know, switch two games. We will have that general direct that they really focus on everything, be it switch two as well as switch. And then that will give them that opportunity to have hands-on with media by hosting those demo sessions in both North America and Europe and really 
allow those people to have previews also right. out in a timely manner within a week or so of that presentation airing just to generate that hype. And then depending on where they want to position the launch of the system, say it is September or even November, you still have those follow-ups. You have Gamescom, you'd have Tokyo Game Show where you could have it playable to the public and get some more hype and enthusiasm leading up to that holiday launch. And we've seen the reports come out of Bloomberg over just the past couple of weeks saying that there is this projection that they may have 10 million systems ready for the coming fiscal year, which some are trying to use to extrapolate an idea of when the system could launch. And if you are to launch in November, that has to take you from November to March of 2025. So 10 million systems sounds like a lot, but if you're launching in November and you have that holiday rush, you're still going to face sellouts. Mm, yeah, man. <laughs> Mean. It's it's just it's it's always weird speculating on this stuff because you know you know there's a plan in place and we're just trying to pick at straws here and figure out what they're doing. I think the big the big wild card here, and this is the, something I've been thinking about, really stems from the current leadership. Uh, these guys really haven't launched a new platform. I mean, obviously there's plenty of Nintendo lifers still there, but uh, mm -hmm. the current the the top leadership there. This is uh they they were handed something that was a runaway success with the switch but they right. know the companies come from it's had rocky launches and nintendo in particular has definitely struggled to launch a second machine and find the similar success with that next machine right mm -hmm. so i think that they are probably very nervous about this and i suspect that's why it's one of the reasons it's taken as long as it has is they really want to get this right you remember all the switch pro stuff that we talked about and i think it's pretty obvious there was something out there right mm -hmm. at yes. this point uh i think the reason they shift i mean there's many reasons they would have shifted gears but i think getting cold feet and wanting to not botch the launch of more hardware was probably a big part of it uh, they got to get this right i mean the switch is, is huge if it would be a disaster for them if they didn't launch something that was of at least a reasonably comparable success yeah, I mean, there's definitely been, I believe some analysts had put out a statement saying, well, the Switch, the Switch 2 isn't going to match that of the Switch 1 in terms of overall financial success. Nintendo's not going to make as much money because you're not going to have similar sales. And a lot of people kind of took offense to that statement when really all they're saying is don't expect the Switch 2 to come out and sell 140, 150 million pieces of hardware. And I don't think that is an unrealistic take. I think as an investor, as an analyst, that is a very grounded, realistic take because no company has really ever matched that type of success again. Sony has come close, but not even they have achieved the success that the PlayStation 2 achieved. They've still done admirably, but with the Switch 2, you naturally have to expect some sort of decline over the, success, over the success of the Switch, especially now as there are not direct competitors, but there is that handheld PC market. You have the Steam Deck, you have the ROG Ally, you have Lenovo. They're not necessarily going to take away from the audience that would buy a Switch, but there is going to be a core gamer who may be more lured to those products simply because there's a greater variety of third-party software on it. But the Switch 2, 
they do have to approach this a little bit with a sense of caution. You can't come in arrogant. And we use this for all the companies. You know, we have arrogant Sony. We've had Nintendo be arrogant in the past when they came out with the 3DS and priced it way beyond what the market was willing to pay. So when it comes time for the Switch 2, they have to have that confidence of we have a good product here. The gimmick, which we can get into, of whether or not we think there will be a unique selling angle in terms of a gimmick, as the Switch's gimmick was its hybrid nature. And, you know, let's assume that's the gimmick for the Switch 2. It's the exact same thing. It's just a hybrid system. Is that going to be as attractive a second time around as it was initially in 2017? Yeah, so with all that said, I still think... So one thing that's always interesting is you mentioned the PS2, of course, but Sony was very successful with PS4, and then the PS5 comes along, and it seems to be achieving similar success, or maybe even more in in some metrics. And that's despite them arguing, arguably maybe missing the mark a little bit in some areas, I might say. Like, not to Mm -hmm. knock it, but like I feel like things didn't go as well as they could have for the PS5, yet it still managed to find a huge amount of success, right? So I feel like if Nintendo is able to execute on (laughs) the follow-up to such a popular system on the Switch and do it even, like, you know, reasonably close to that sort of level that it could actually end up finding that success again. We really don't know. It could go either way, obviously, but it's not impossible, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, the Switch 2, as long as it is a competent machine that is delivering the games people want and the performance is there, this could easily still be, let's say, a 8,500 million unit seller. It will come down to pricing. Right. PSP numbers. Yep. Right. And, you know, some people (laughs) will say, oh, the PSP was a failure in comparison to the DS, but the PSP sold a lot of units it sold plenty of hardware that any other company would look at that and say i wish we could replicate that and it's funny how we kind of measure the success of hardware now because when we were younger and we can go just to the playstation 2 generation that was an anomaly because especially when you look at the gamecube and the xbox those were two systems that just barely eclipsed 20 million units worldwide yet that wasn't deemed a failure. Now, if you had a system come out at 20 million systems, yeah, yeah, say, yeah. oh man, what a mess that was. Yeah, I but... never, just as that aside, I never really understood that perception that the PSP was a failure given those numbers. Like, right. Those numbers are, it did really well, like really well. Yeah. It sold uh, better than every <laughs> Xbox ever, except for the 360, and it's about tied with 360. Right. So like, uh, but it's it's still regarded as like not a huge success. The Vita, on the other hand, was not a success, <laughs> but the PSP was a big success. I'd say. Yeah, it's just cause the PSP went up against the juggernaut that was the DS, and when you sell in the area of you know fifty two percent of the DS's base, people were saying, "Oh, the PSP was just a failure for Sony." Like, no, the PSP. How, how awesome industry. is that though how awesome like both of them were smash successes like they both yes. did very very well i think that's great yeah. like it, just between those two handheld you had in the area of 240 million handheld sold 
Yeah. And then, you know, obviously things slowed down. So I think the thing with 3DS and then especially Vita is that they hit during the big phone boom. And now I think portable dedicated gaming hardware is popular again. I think the Switch played a huge role in making that happen. But then we also have the rise of Steam Deck and everything as well. It's just become more accepted to play actual, uh, have dedicated hardware. And I actually think some things about the Steam Deck and some of the rumors we've heard about the Switch 2 all tie into the fact that I think the Switch 2, whatever it's called, is going to be a very large (laughs) machine uh, comparatively. So I think they are moving towards that. The 8-inch screen rumor combined with uh, what is likely to be a very large chip SOC in there from NVIDIA, uh, those things alone, it's going to be a beefy, a beefy machine. Yeah, I'm expecting quite a beefy machine, as you mentioned, simply due to that eight inch screen. And I know someone in the comments section or someone listening is going to say, oh, but the PlayStation Portal has an eight inch screen. The PlayStation Portal also doesn't really have any internals. It's a stream device. And I will say the eight inch LCD on a PlayStation Portal is a very impressive screen. I have no issues with that screen. I think it's high quality and, you know, performance hiccups aside, when you just look at the visual fidelity that is displayed on that screen, if Nintendo has an LCD that matches what we see in a PlayStation portal, I'd be more than satisfied with that. Yeah. Yeah. Even though if, if, if it's a good LCD, that's, that's, I can forgive that, but I, I think they, I specifically <laughs> think that they chose if that's true, I, I would imagine that they would have selected an eight-inch screen specifically because it means they can make the internals uh, it's larger, right? The housing for the right. unit becomes bigger to house the screen, and I don't think they do it just because they want an eight-inch screen. They want to cram more stuff in there. Yeah, I mean, by having an eight-inch screen, you can now fit a, a mammoth battery that's going to power this thing, ideally you know, for more than 45 minutes. Yeah, I think battery life is a big concern of Nintendo's. And that's another thing with all those uh, Gamescom sort of rumors and stuff and the leaks about the performance capabilities. Uh, I think that's, you know, something to keep in mind is that even if you're seeing really high-end demo hardware from a partner, doesn't mean Nintendo's going to go for that level of performance. They can throttle that way back in favor of uh, battery life. So we'll see what happens there. Like even the tagger in the switch is I'd say more capable than what the switch itself offers. Some of that was done obviously yes. for battery life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially with the revision, because we know the Mariko chip can do far better performance than what Nintendo had clocked it at. And they prioritize battery life over performance for that revision. So I do think the system is going to be, quite substantial in size. I also think the system is going to forego Joy-Cons and we're going to get a singular body similar to that I of a Steam it. Deck or a ROG Ally. I I think that's a, that would be a smart play in the end because I think the Joy-Con concept was neat, but it was largely, I would argue, not a huge success. For First of all, they're not that comfortable, right? I think Joy-Cons don't feel great. They're also very unreliable. Uh, those, those sticks fail easily. Uh, for me personally, when I'm not using it in handheld mode, I always use the Pro Controller throughout the lifetime of the entire system. See, and it took, it took me I, a while to adopt to a Pro Controller. But see, that's, 
you had to buy it separate. If they included a pro controller right. in the box from day one, I think everybody would be happier with that than Joy-Con. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. I think they will go that route as well. Like, we'll get the single body, no Joy-Cons, and they will ship a, we'll call it a pro controller with the hardware itself for that television docked play session. And, like, to your point with the Joy-Con, it took me a while before I got a pro controller. I was fine sliding it into the little plastic housing. But as the years went on, I began to experience a lot of disconnects with my Joy-Cons, which didn't happen in the first few years, and it became increasingly frustrated. I actually had the Joy-Cons disconnect while housed on the Switch itself in handheld play, which I didn't know was possible. Oh, yeah, I've had that happen. Yeah, also, being separate, they, it lends the system this bit of wiggle. You know, even though it's fairly well attached, you can still feel the Joy-Con kind of moving on the system in a way that always sort of detracted from its uh, sense of, you know, being a solid object. And right. I, I don't know if that bothered you, but it definitely kind of bothered me a little bit where it just reduced <laughs> the the premium feel, maybe. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like having loose feeling control uh, controllers right. attached to the machine. So... Yeah, go ahead. Do you think the lack of a Joy-Con would potentially limit the on-the-go social aspect of multiplayer? Uh, so I think when they pitched the Switch, that was one of the big ten poles. It right. was a console at home. It was a portable machine you take with you, and it was a tabletop machine. Mm-hmm. I suspect if you looked at the numbers, you'd find that most people probably didn't use the tabletop functionality that much right i mean i don't know for sure but i feel like that i anecdotal but i've never actually really seen people using that out in public and nobody i know really uses the system that way Mm -hmm. like i feel like it was not a big big part of it in the end uh and even then you could still i'm sure there are ways if you wanted to do it to still do something similar but uh, I think that aspect ended up not being big of a, big enough of a deal for them to commit all the mm-hmm. to it, and I think having the built-in controls again, it opens up the case itself. Uh, mm-hmm. You have more inter- interior space as a singular whole. I think most people wouldn't mind, but of course, if you're if they're building an expensive machine, they're building controls into the machine, and then they include a separate controller in the box. We'll say that also that ratchets the cost up quite a bit, uh, which is another potential issue. So, hmm. Yeah, I mean, it also introduces that idea of Nintendo sold a lot of Joy-Cons. Accessories are a great means of profits. (laughs) So if I ship it as a singular unit and I give you a controller in the box... I've kind of dissuaded you a little bit of having to go out and buy additional accessories, assuming, let's say, the current Pro Controller and the Joy-Cons are compatible with the Switch 2. Right. Which they know. may not be. We don't know. What if, what, if this, what if the included controller has its own screen? And what if that screen is, like, integrated into the main body or something? You just, like, stick it together, and when it's time oh, to play, you pull a, it off. That'd be mm-hmm. kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Be like a back. I don't know. <laughs> exactly. I don't know. 
it seems i don't know if nintendo would go with that it seems a little too uh no, i know just the idea of <laughs> going back to two screens the wii u concept the ds concept bring that back in some way i mean that would be a really cool gimmick if they did go that route it would be like oh yeah it has a screen there's your portable multiplayer is you're playing on the system you now have the secondary screen or you could even use it in a docked play type of setting so if they came out with a mario maker that's 3, what i'm exactly that's the big thing i'm thinking of was like that kind of use case because yeah. they had to give up the precision of that uh mm-hmm. and they also had to give up a lot of the ds ideas and i could see them wanting to get back to multi-screen i don't necessarily think they'd do it here there were the rumors but man that seems like that would be quite expensive <laughs> Uh, thus probably not going to happen, but who knows? Who knows? I mean, I would definitely welcome that type of gimmick for the hardware because it would be a unique selling point of if you were able to marry the Wii U concept with the Switch concept and just give that precision back because we all played Super Mario Maker 2 and that lack of precision definitely negatively influenced the game a bit. And... If you want to make a third one, which at this point I would say is likely, you know, just become very unlikely. I don't think the appeal of Mario Maker is there anymore. Nah, you don't want a... to go back to, control, you know, just standard controls. Oh, you want exactly. that touch screen. You want... But I think, ultimately, I'm not expecting the Switch 2 to really have a gimmick, per se. I think it's going to be basically what we have with the switch singular yeah, pro- body and probably just... should be too <laughs> it's just going to be hey we are the hybrid system we have more power we're going to have more games and hopefully this is enough for you <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> now <sighs> we did kind of touch on this a little bit with the cross-gen aspect and it's backwards compatibility and as i had mentioned earlier in the episode with the uh, the expectation of the first direct coming in february to be a partner direct the reason i believe that is that the switch 2 i think will have backwards compatibility oh uh, yeah There's, and by confirming ben, it today right here boom <laughs> <laughs> and by holding the next general direct let's say till june may whenever nintendo opts to drop one there is now no risk in showing you current switch games with switch 2 games because everything would be playable on the switch 2 you can just have a uniformed presentation you don't have to have any mixed messaging or anything it's the switch 2 has been revealed let's say next month now the next general direct is going to have software that can be played on the switch 2 you can show switch to exclusives, switch one games because backwards compatibility is going to be a feature on that hardware. My only fear of the system being backwards compatible is how they approach the eShop because the eShop as we know it today is just dreadful when it comes from a term, you know, in the form of discoverability. It's very difficult to find some of the older games, even new releases. It has become a mess. They have to overhaul the entire eShop And if you are now housing the entire backlog of current-gen Switch games, you have to approach this very smart. This cannot be a wreck of a shop to navigate. I I would hope that they've hopefully have learned from this, you know, because the Switch was their first 
really successful system with a big digital marketplace that was actually well used. Mm -hmm. Uh, They've done digital marketplaces in the past, but not at this scale. And I would hope that they've been paying attention and have learned a lot from it and hopefully are taking the steps to correct that going forward with whatever they do next. Uh, I'm actually surprised that the the eShop was not updated or changed in any major way during the lifetime of the Switch. I mean, you think back to other, the PS360 gen especially, where the entire interface has changed, uh, though not always for the better. So I don't know, but I think the eShop is pretty dire. It's, It's not great. It has very, very poor discoverability, and it's slow and just not very pleasant to use. It felt like it was designed to be used with the with the first year's worth of Switch games, and it wasn't really designed to handle much beyond that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, I think that's very apt. And even, I mean, I would extend my issues with digital storefronts even to the Xbox and the PlayStation. I think the PlayStation 5 store is dreadful for navigation. The Xbox store is still very convoluted, and I'm hoping that Nintendo can approach the Switch 2 eShop in a nice, clear, concise way. However you have to separate the Switch 2 games from the Switch 1 games. It's such a hard problem to solve, but man. And I mean, it could even be further exemplified depending on how backwards compatibility really plays out on the Switch. I'm going in with the expectation that backwards compatibility is going to be basic. It's just going to be, you can play your Switch 1 games on your Switch 2. I'm not really going into it expecting there will be performance boost and enhancements like we see on the Xbox and the PlayStation because PlayStation games that you see get a performance boost on PS5 are just the PS4 games that had PlayStation 4 Pro versions. Whereas the Xbox has that backwards compatibility program where you get the FPS boost, you get auto HDR, you can get you know other types of boost due to the way they approach backwards compatibility the only thing i could foresee maybe happening with switch 2 backwards compatibility is if a game had an unlocked frame rate maybe it would defaultly go to a higher frame rate yeah powerful hardware i was expecting it to be that i mean that's basically how playstation works by and large is that it's not just Mm -hmm. unlocked it, it fixes performance problems it raises the average resolution with dynamic resolution scaling uh, in cases of unlocked frame rates, it pushes it up all the way to 60. And then developers could also introduce patches as well. So all of those things were right. possible. And I don't feel like that's outside the realm of what Nintendo would do. Like, I don't think they're going to take the Xbox approach, but I could see them allowing that. But at the same time, they're very, very cautious and conservative about compatibility things. Like you remember mm-hmm. when the new 3DS, for instance, uh, if you homebrew it, you can unlock the 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 new part of the hardware and play 3ds games that way and it massively improves the performance in a ton of them but there's a few that aren't properly compatible like uh, ridge racer 3d for instance crashes uh if you're in overclocked mode or in the new mode so it's not many games but i think if there's any they would either have to find a way to default down to a lower speed or something or basically find a way to solve that unless they just take a blanket lock it down across the board and it runs like the switch but i actually think i actually think it would be tough to perfectly simulate the switch performance levels as it is on the switch due to how variable it is so i don't know Mm. 
I would expect to see some natural improvements. Yeah, I'm going to be curious how they approach backwards compatibility because naturally you're going to have some third-party companies who are going to want to release native Switch 2 versions of their Switch 1 games with all the bells and whistles with the higher frame rate, higher visual fidelity, and all of that really take advantage of the hardware and naturally sell it again at a higher price to recoup some of those costs versus just giving you a patch and letting you play it via backwards compatibility. It also allows Nintendo to, you know, enhance and resell us something like Tears of the Kingdom or Bayonetta 3. And I'd say Bayonetta 3 could definitely benefit from a next generation enhanced patch, considering that game's resolution and overall performance were at best inconsistent. So if you can sell a game again, you're definitely going to go that route versus just giving you a free patch and giving you those types of updates. But the one topic I want to end on regarding the Switch 2 mm. is just general tech and performance. As it gone out last year in the summer, you and I had also discussed this, I believe it was in November with MVG, some of the expected performance and tech that the Switch 2 would have. And I had mentioned that it's very likely that it will, as I had heard, it will have ray reconstruction. It's going to support DLSS 3.5 from NVIDIA and be quite capable. And one area that we touched on was RAM, where we said it has to come in at least at 10 gigabytes of RAM, given what we're seeing from Steam Deck, Xbox Series S, and other platforms. Now if we are to revisit that, where would you come in in a RAM expectation? Do you still set 10 as your basement? And do you have a new ceiling figure? Uh, hmm. I was kind of thinking it could be something like 16 gigs, like uh, the Steam Deck. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's not unreasonable to expect that. Because I, I mean, 10 certainly is possible. Nintendo is not necessarily known for being generous with the hardware specs, right? But I feel like enough noise has been made about uh, RAM in regards to being an issue for Xbox Series S in particular that they may want to avoid that. I, it's it's honestly tough to say because I, I don't know how Nintendo determines these things. I would imagine if they have NVIDIA working on their chipset back there, I'm sure they're like, guys, you need get to get an extra RAM in there. You need this. Yeah. Uh, but... Who can say? I feel like 16 would actually make a lot of sense right now. And I think that alone would help um, allow the system to play current generation games more easily or allow developers to get them running on there, even if other sacrifices are necessary, which they will be most assuredly. Uh, but the RAM would be a great place to go. Although, again... <laughs> extra RAM adds to the battery cost of the battery eating cost. So that can also right. hurt battery life. So there's so much stuff to, to balance. And I really genuinely do not know on this front. I'm just fascinated and curious to see where they go. And I'm saying I'd like to see 16 gigs, but who knows? Yeah, I, mean, I agree with your assessment. I think Nintendo is going to come in at a 16 gigabyte RAM allocation for the system. And for the reasons you said, this will more easily allow them to have those current-gen ports from PS5, Xbox Series, line of hardware. Because you don't want to come in 
any less than what we're seeing from other hardware. You want to be able to at least stand side by side when it comes to RAM allocation. You don't want to run into the problems that the Xbox Series S is encountering when it comes to porting select games like a Baldur's Gate 3. You want to be able to say, we can have that game. We don't want to, You don't want to give a third-party developer any excuse not to support your platform. Right. And that's definitely going to be a thing Nintendo has to keep in mind. And I'm sure NVIDIA had that in mind while developing this custom chip for Nintendo. NVIDIA has a lot at stake of their own with what they're coming out for Nintendo because they kind of lead the mobile market in terms of their SOCs. So you want to come out with something that is very capable and almost as a selling point to other companies of come to us if you're thinking of a hybrid system or a handheld as we're seeing a lot of rumor and talk of Microsoft potentially exploring that avenue. So if you're NVIDIA, you might be winking over at Microsoft saying, we can help you. Come talk to us. Let's get a contract and we'll make hardware for you if you want to go a handheld because AMD can't quite compete with us in that market right now. But I think a lot of what we talked about last year, you know, the DLSS, mm. even the ray reconstruction, even ray tracing possibilities still ring true for today as we are potentially just on that horizon of the Switch 2 reveal that seems as though it's very likely to occur sometime in March, pre-GDC. And I'm excited to finally see this. I want to see what Nintendo and NVIDIA are going to deliver from this hardware. And I'm kind of thankful that the rumor cycle leading up to the Switch 2 hasn't been quite as heavy as what we had during the NX era. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. been a little more succinct. Yeah, agreed. And also... Uh probably less fiery than the old switch pro situation i think people yes. just kind of given up we're like whatever nintendo will reveal when they reveal <laughs> and it looks like we might be on that precipice nintendo can reveal the switch to hopefully give us a release date second half of this year i know there I, was you know some people still are expecting that first half of 2024 release i think we can shut not. the door to that expectation you know what, with Nintendo being as they are, at this point, I wouldn't even be surprised if they just didn't reveal it this year. I don't think that's going to happen, but it. <laughs> so, but there's a part of me, it's like, what if they just give a middle finger to all this and say, nope, more Switch. <laughs> like, man, the Switch is still selling really well. Hey, NVIDIA, are you fine waiting another year? Like, no, we finished this chip. Can you please put it in a product for us? Like, nah. Switch uh, selling. We we want to sell 200 million of the current switch. Yeah. Do <laughs> you think they're going to keep offering? I, I feel like they should probably continue to offer the original switch for sale, but I, what do you think? It's, I think that would largely just come down to their production lines and whether yeah. or not they can afford to keep the current switch in, you know, in production because with the fiscal report that just came out, a lot of discussion now is about will the PlayStation 2 be passed by the Switch? Will the Switch become oh, right. the best-selling home console of all time? And we're in the area of about a 17 million unit difference. Right. So it's definitely within reach, but it comes down to what is Nintendo going to forecast for the coming fiscal year for Switch 1 production? Because if they come in with a forecast of, let's say, 10 million, that means likely following 2025, Nintendo is just going to cease production of the Switch, and Switch 2 is going to become that primary focus. But 
they should I think they should discount the Switch One. I'm, At least I'm also wondering if they would like say discontinue the uh OLED model, for instance, as a higher end, probably more expensive to manufacture machine and like just stick to one of the the lower end models to like account for whoever's left. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It kind of yeah, feels yeah. like like the end days of the of the three DS as well, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean if you could discount the switch light and the red box switch and you just kind of stop production of the OLED model. Because the OLED model, I believe, it's priced at what, three fifty? I think so. So let's say what, the, a, what a nice machine. <laughs> I, I love that thing. You oh man, what yeah, it feels it, it's probably too late now, but I do. If you ever, yeah, I, I love this the Switch OLED. It feels so much more premium, just from the screen to the build quality, the feel of the case, mm. like everything about it, just feels like it's like a really nicely crafted piece of hardware in a way that the original Switch kind of isn't. <laughs> but yeah, never, it's, it's a, never upgraded. Oh man, but, missing out, dude. Better well, get yeah, one before they're gone. I mean, now that we're talking about, maybe they, you know, they do cease production. I might have to try to find a deal on one. But with that being priced at three fifty, you kind of have to anticipate the Switch Two is coming out anywhere from four hundred, four fifty, five ninety nine. Say it, yeah, four ninety nine, five ninety nine, five ninety nine. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> calm down there, Ken. <laughs> Gotta get a second job. Oh man, that's gonna haunt them forever. The the get a second job is pretty much that's also <laughs> the metric thing. Like uh, we have another product for you. It's called Xbox three sixty. Like those two lines together are like legendary flubs by uh executives. So I mean Nintendo's due for one. What could they say with oh, Switch boy. Two that's gonna make everyone sit there saying, Oh my god. Hopefully they don't pull one of those. You wanna play your Switch One games? We have a system for you. It's called a Switch One. Like, Oh no! I feel like whatever it would be, if that were to happen, it would come out of left field. You wouldn't know it until it's happened. Just yeah, like just like make some comment that would just rub everybody the wrong way. The tone (laughs) deaf kind of thing. Let's hope they don't do that. But you know, yeah, I think the closest Nintendo has gotten to that moment is when they brought out the 3DS revisions and they weren't selling the AC adapter with them. Because they're oh, like, well, yeah. you already own a 3DS, like, so just use your old plug. But, but what if I don't? Like, you can just buy one for you know thirty bucks. I think there's like some EU laws or something, and also in Japan as well. Like going back yeah. to, I think there's laws there about this <laughs> sort of thing in terms of classification of the device where they did not yeah. sell them uh, with power adapters. Like you get yeah, like a Super was... Famicom. Like I have a box Super Famicom, and I believe it doesn't have any room in the box for an AC adapter. It's like a separate oh, wow. thing that you had to buy. Yeah. I, hopefully Nintendo doesn't flub with any no, weird PR be, statement. Yeah. Let's hope not. But anyway. Yeah, like the, the pricing, definitely anticipating at least north of $400 with this thing. I can't envision I any mean, world. Just inflation, the, the state of things. I mean, right. given the rumors about the hardware spec everything that they're planning. And when you think about all that, I do understand why it probably doesn't have an OLED screen, to be honest, because that would, mm-hmm. that would add yeah, just... enough to the, the bill of materials that I could see them wanting to cut it, which is a shame, but it gives them a chance to do another OLED model in the future. 
The only thing it does hurt is like I was hoping for like proper HDR support in handheld right out of the gate because that's something the Steam Deck OLED. Oh my god, it looks awesome with HDR. HDR is. I still I said it last year. HDR is a bigger game changer than ray tracing in some ways. I feel. Yeah, it's just not as well used as it should be. Too many games yeah. not supporting it or not supporting it well. It's a it's a bummer. Yeah, I love so... it though when it's done well. Oh, it's beautiful when it's done well. It really adds to the immersion that you have with a game. So the final thing I want to touch on with the Switch 2, I had touched on this last summer where I was hearing that the basement for the storage of the system was looking in the area of 256 gigabytes with a ceiling of around 512. So all your digital games, and I guess even backwards compatibility games now, you'd have ample storage to store that library. Do you think yeah. Nintendo will go that high, or do you think Nintendo's going to go very conservative and come in at 64 gigs? Or are they going to go very liberal and give us a full terabyte? Two terabytes. I'm on the two terabyte train. <laughs> I'd love no, no I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Don't don't quote <laughs> me on that. I wish. Oh, yeah. No, I, mean, I, I remain curious about Switch 2 storage in general, like what sort of speed target they're going for. I just I could see them being kind of in line with like Steam Deck kind of performance, uh, maybe. Uh, maybe is what I I don't know if Nintendo is on board with the uh, variability, but I mean with the Steam Deck, you can still install games to the SD card, and by and large, they're fine as long as you get a fast enough SD card. Uh, it's not like it doesn't have the insane speed requirements of like the PS5, right? SSD where. Yeah, even there, even there, though you can use a lesser quality SSD, and it's usually fine. So <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I'd love, I love the idea. You know, Nintendo can come in with at least two hundred fifty-six, ideally five twelve, and then you have support of the SD cards because you can buy a one terabyte SD card for around one fifty now. So later this year, come Black Friday sales, you probably get it maybe a hundred dollars. <laughs> so it'd be very easy to upgrade and having yeah. 1.5 terabytes of storage on the system should be yeah, yeah, yeah. more than ample to fit anything you're going to be playing. Mm, absolutely. But I think that's pretty much uh, everything we have to say on this at the moment, right? Yes. I mean, I guess the next time we'll be talking Switch 2 will be when Nintendo officially unveils the system. And, you know, my expectation, I said, is March next month before GDC. March. Put it on the calendar. Throw a dart in it. It's time. It's March. It's happening. It's time. Launching later this year. Three ninety nine. Wait, no, no. That's just four ninety nine. Four ninety nine. Four ninety nine. Five ninety nine. Six ninety nine. No, that's yeah. That's we we should stop. We should stop. It's too yeah. much. It's too much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd like to thank you for joining me this episode. Oh, thank you very much for having me. As always, always a pleasure. Cool. It is it's always a delight talking to you. And if you'd like to support our channel, we have a Streamlabs link in the description below. Donate any dollar amount. Ask a question. We will answer at the end of the episode. Donate $100 or more, and we will dedicate the episode to you. We will not be doing the Streamlabs portion for this episode just due to scheduling and <clears throat> time constraints, but we will resume the Streamlab question portion next episode when MVG will be here. Oh. And if you enjoyed the episode, give the video a like. If you didn't, give it a dislike and let us know your thoughts on the Switch 2, be it the gimmick, reveal timing, release timing, anything we talked about in the episode in the comment section below. And until next time, 
continue to embrace the hate.